Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. This is Wade here today. I'm excited to be with a guest and with uh, two of our regulars joining me here in the studio. We have Peter, who has been figuring out the Skype for us. We're appreciative of that, and we think we are good to go. Peter, would you like to say hello? Yeah, we, we don't have Ben in the studio, so we're stuck with me again, and um, I, I think we should just blame Ben if things don't work out. And I, Ben is busy with some stuff. He didn't say exactly what, but I know the Packers are playing, and he doesn't like watching them when they've been recorded. Uh, I won't accuse him of being home walk, watching the Packers <laughs> game, uh, but that could well be the case. We're not going to talk about the Lions today. Uh, I slept through the game, and I'm glad I did. Uh, we also have someone who is uh, becoming a regular here in the studio with us, uh, Dr. Mike Berg. Mike, would you like to say hello? Hello. And very good. You nailed that, and I think we're, we're moving along well. Which brings we should, us to We should our, have him on more often. He's really good at this. Yeah, I think that was a, a voice for <laughs> podcasting. And that brings us to our main guest, and we attempted to have him on last week, and we had some technical difficulties. And so we are very appreciative uh, of his patience with us and his willingness to come on. We're excited to talk about his book, which we'll be getting to in just a little bit. But the Reverend Dr. Matt Richard, Pastor Matt Richard, um, from Gwinner, North Dakota, if I said that correctly. Uh, Matt, why don't you tell us, or is it okay we call you Matt to begin with? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, great. And Matt, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, uh, pastor here in Gwinner, North Dakota. Been about uh, coming up on four years here in Gwinner. Uh, I'm, I'm a recent uh, addition to the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate, about four years now. Uh, before that, I was a part of a Lutheran pietistic uh, denomination, uh, which is the Church Lutheran Brethren. So I grew up in that denomination and was an ordained pastor with them for about 10 years. Um, and then decided to call it wise, which means it's basically a fancy word to, to, to jump ship. Uh, <laughs> left left the Lutheran Brethren and uh, joined the Missouri Senate about four years ago, and I've uh, had just a wonderful home here in Gwinter. Well, excellent. Uh, Peter also is a member of a Lutheran pietist denomination, and so he <laughs> will have some common experiences with you. Uh, with that, I suppose we can make our way into the scripture narrative for the day. And that brings us to our scripture narrative for the day, which will be rather brief as we will be getting into these ideas more in our main topic, which we'll be discussing uh, a book recently published by Pastor Richard. And this is from Matthew 24. You know, just... Wade, we do have two real pastors here. They could probably take the scripture narrative for I'm sorry. No, you, you do a great job. Well, I'm we sorry. have one on Skype who's a guest. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I'm just saying they're real pastors, though. And Mike's on a hiatus from preaching. That's he's, not, he's not anymore. Now. He preaches for chapel and uh, whatever else. I'm not preaching. This is just a scripture all narrative. Right. I was just going to read it, Peter. But all right. Thank you, all Pastor right. Wade. The, uh, we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll pick up then Matthew 24, beginning with verse 3. And uh, he sat on the Mount of Olives. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, 
and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. And we see there uh, plenty of things that fill our news nightly. Uh, wars, rumors of war, wars, uh, famines, earthquakes, especially lately, things that might come to mind. We uh, see also mention of persecution, and as we watch the news, we can see that taking place in, in various places. Uh, some people get pretty nervous about developments in America now, but I'd say I still have it pretty good. I haven't had anybody give me too much of a hard time for being a Christian yet. Um, we're thankful when we're spared persecution, and should it arise, we pray that we'll have strength for it. But recognizing that there will be many who come proclaiming a false Christ, either claiming to be Christ or playing... Uh, proclaiming a messiah or a jesus is who is the one other than the one that we encounter in the word and yet in the face of all of this we rejoice what is the task that has been given to the church and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world and so we're excited to talk about pastor richard's book today uh, as he balances those two things very well warning about false christ who might come uh, various jesuses who are set forth um, who are different in, in critical ways from the biblical Jesus, sometimes in ways that are hard for people at first to recognize, but then balancing that with the gospel, which is our chief message the church has been given, to proclaim the real Jesus who comes in word and sacrament for the forgiveness of sins, uh, so that we can, as we like to say here, let the bird fly and live freely in a world given back to us. So some background on the, the warnings that Christ gives, as we'll be talking about Pastor Richard's book, uh, and Mike, since Peter has pointed out that you are a pastor, do you have anything you would like to add to Jesus's words there? <laughs> <laughs> I sure would. Um, no, I think it's really uh, nice, and I'm excited to talk to uh, Pastor Richard about this, that um, when we have all these warnings about the, the coming end, we start to point fingers and stuff like that, when we really should be looking at how we've made false Christs in our own hearts. And I think there's as many Jesuses out there as there are Christians, probably. We all kind of have an image of Jesus that is tweaked a little bit from Scripture, and we've added something or taken away something from Scripture to fit uh, our own image. And, and that's his book is uh, it cuts to the heart, but obviously there's some hope there that, um, that the final Jesus, the real Jesus, is standing up, resurrected, and there for our salvation. Well, excellent. Uh, we will then wrap up the scripture narrative with that and make our way. A uh, little explanation, we're not going to be doing the free-for-all today uh, because we think we have plenty to talk about in the main topic. And to be honest, we couldn't, uh, the three of us here in the office couldn't quite settle on a good free-for-all <laughs> topic to make uh, Pastor Richard endure. Uh, without the kids, it's a little hard. It's easy to pick stuff that they'll say ridiculous things for when they are with us. And we have no children in studio today. Uh, so we will make our way then to the main topic.
that brings us to our main topic today, which is uh, the book that has been published by Pastor Matt Richard, uh, Will the Real Jesus Please Stand Up, uh, 12 False Christs. And as we get ready to look at that, we'll get a little bit more background than we maybe got uh, in the intro with Pastor Matt Richard. Uh, Matt, maybe first if you could tell us a little bit more about where you serve. We were talking before about the town and the, and the parish, the congregation. Uh, a lot of people, you mentioned North Dakota. There might not be a lot that, that comes to mind. I am, I'm guessing maybe some would say uh, things that are in South Dakota and maybe think they're in North Dakota. Uh, first off, uh, is this a big rivalry, North Dakota and South Dakota? You know, uh, when it comes to football, I would say that uh, you have South Dakota University down in Brookings and North Dakota uh, State, the Bison. So there's a little rivalry there. Um, you know, but there, there's also North Dakota is kind of unique in, in the sense that you have kind of the eastern part and the western part, very different demographics, very different uh, cultures, I guess you would say, from the east to the west side. Um, but for the most part, yeah, North Dakota, we're, we're uh, right up there, right next to Canada. My hometown is about 10 miles from Canada. And that's where my wife is right now. She's up at our hometown, up there uh, in Bottineau. It's it's uh, huh. it's actually a French French uh, French uh, sounding uh, town, and so right up there on the Canadian border. But uh, yeah, right next to, to tucked in here, my my home, the town that I'm serving in is is Gwinner, and uh, that's tucked in right next to South Dakota, about 10 miles, and we're about 40 miles from Minnesota, in the southeast corner of North Dakota, actually right next to Fargo. Uh, Fargo is just down the road, about an hour. Now. I know in Wisconsin, sometimes we get people from Illinois that, you know, they're close to our border as well, and they'll drive up, and people will complain, you know, Illinois plates on the road, they're driving too fast or too slow. Uh, do you guys get upset when you have South Dakota traffic on Gwinter Roads, or you're okay with it? You know, I guess we, you know, with with the oil boom, we've, we had an oil boom, uh, it's, it's kind of uh, dwindled off. We had an oil boom in the western part of the state. Uh, boy, tremendous amount of oil. I think it I think through the oil boom, we North Dakota became the second highest oil producing state um, in the United States. This huh. was just a while back. And so uh, you more so got frustration from North Dakotans when you see plates from way down south, you know, uh. like uh, like California or Nevada and those areas. Uh, usually that would kind of uh, ruffle the feathers. Uh, but in the Midwest, generally speaking, we all kind of kind of uh, associate together. We're a bunch of Midwesterners, you know, hardworking farmers. Um, out here on the North Dakota, the Dakota prairies, I guess you would say. Now, when they, they found this oil, is this this is fracking or this is like Jed Clampett, someone was out and, <laughs> and stumbled upon something? Or, or what? how did this come about? Yeah, there, there has been oil in uh, the western part of the state for quite some time. But with the development of uh, uh, fracking uh, abilities, they actually drill straight down into the formation and then they go um, horizontally. And so, boy, I, I served in the Bakken oil boom, the oil boom for seven and a half years before coming to uh, uh, Gwinner here. And one of the guys in my church, he was responsible for the drilling. And he was basically in this uh, uh, contraption, this this uh, behind his pickup, a, a you know, big trailer, enclosed trailer, and you go in there, it was like playing video games, he essentially said. And, huh. and when you drill, you would drill, and, and as the formation would go up and down, he would drill in that formation, watching the screens, and he said it's essentially like a big video game machine. And then once they drill in that uh, formation, then they actually go in there and they frack, they, they, which means to simply loosen up the, uh, the, 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 the dirt and the rocks to, to allow the oil to flow. And then they put a pump on the top and they actually, it's like a big straw and it sucks the oil um, out of all that and, and bottles it up. And some oil would go to uh, uh, the one container, then they would strain out the water that would come with the oil, and then the natural gas would go elsewhere. So there's 
the three things that came out of the ground, ground was oil and water and natural gas, and they would siphon all three of those out and then disperse them, uh, you know, for, for use. And the, the boom has kind of slowed down because of oil prices or because they ran out of oil or? Oh, no, there's, there's, there's tons and tons and tons of oil. It's, it's basically the prices. Uh, the prices have gone down. I mean, when oil was $100 a barrel, I mean, it, people were drilling left and right. Um, so the wells are still there. There's, there's, there's a tremendous amount of oil in the western part of the state that really goes from uh, the eastern part of Montana all the way over to um, the Minot area, which is you know kind of the middle to the western part of the state. Uh, so the eastern part of the state d- doesn't have that oil boom, but it definitely uh, has has been benefited by the influx of uh, money that has come to our state. We had an actual population boom because of all the people moving to our little state. Uh, but where I'm at here in Gwinter is in the southeast corner. We're kind of tucked back in the little corner here. Uh, we have a, a big factory, though, in our little town, uh, Bobcat Skid Steers. They manufacture nice. the Bobcat machinery. And so there's 1,500 people that work in the factory, and we only have 750 people in our town. <laughs> so it's a big factory in the middle of Prairie with a bunch of houses, three churches, and a school around it. And we have traffic jams on uh, shift changes because mm-hmm. people drive from all over the place to work here. And so apart from that, it's it's a pretty quiet and quaint little community uh, farming community with a big factory huh. in the middle of the prairie. Well, excellent, Matt. Do I remember right that there's also in the in the eastern part of the state uh, a lot of potatoes farming? Is that or is that Minnesota more? Um, you know, I'm trying to think. Uh, right, right in this area, it's a lot of corn and okay. beans. Uh, you get up north and more more grain, sugar beets. There, there are a lot of sugar beets as you get into the Red River Valley. Uh, so you get a lot of sugar beets there, and then also in the western part, actually. Uh, over by uh, uh, eastern part of uh, Montana, there's sugar beets, but okay. uh, potatoes. I that might be more a Minnesota thing. That's Idaho, Peter. <laughs> not Idaho's potatoes. Idaho. You you might not know what one of Peter's uh, hobbies is: potato farming. <laughs> um, Actually, I was thinking about our, our listeners out in California. I know that they're really interested in uh, Midwest agriculture, so I wanted to throw some of that in there for them. Uh, yeah, yeah. I make a mean uh, a mean bowl of nefla soup. So <laughs> <laughs> you you mentioned. Uh, in the in the intro, uh, a, a background in Lutheran Pietism, and, and Peter's obviously familiar with that. I've I've seen him pray with his children and do devotions, um, which made me a little uncomfortable. Um, you know, I'm joking. Uh, a lot of our a lot of our listeners might be familiar with Pietism, uh, but they might confuse it with piety. Obviously, piety is we'll want to pray with our children and do devotions. Um, you know, we'll want to practice our Christian faith and and be in the Word. Um, but maybe just a little bit with your background and, and, and what you mean by Lutheran pietism or, or what that looked like uh, before you made your way into the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Yeah, Lutheran pietism is kind of difficult to define. I mean, you can define it as a movement, you know, of, uh, you know, the, the 17th century, uh, really coming from uh, a guy named Spener. And uh, he really developed and was a reaction to a lot of the uh, chaos that was going on in the time in, in Europe. And uh, really, it was it was a development of greater piety. But uh, what has happened is, I guess I would say that I've grown up uh, with, with a strain of pietism, uh, maybe not necessarily the same kind of pietism that's resembling of the uh, 17th century. But the pietism that I grew up was, uh, grew up with was uh, definitely a very internal, Uh, Christianity, always looking towards the inner heart, um, looking to your own spirituality, always taking your own spiritual temperature, um, always the pressure to advance to some greater holiness. 
and uh, really was left with a lack of assurance. And I also know for myself, too, as a pastor, um, within it, within this pietistic background, uh, it was a de-emphasis on the sacraments and the external word. I mean, I remember the first time really wrestling with this idea that Christ is outside of me, that is, that his gospel comes from outside to in, uh, just being totally blown away, thinking that was just totally um, you know, borderline heretical. Hmm. Uh, but as you come to understand the uh, word and sacraments, as something that's outside of me, and they come and they impact me, uh, it was revolutionary from the perspective of granting me assurance. And so I uh, made the journey about uh, four four years ago, um, four and a half years ago, uh, to come into the Lutheran Church Missouri Senate, and people ask me many times why, and uh, um, I, I, can, I can say that I had some wonderful friends in the Lutheran Brethren, a lot of people I really respect and that I, 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 I still have relationship uh, re- relationships with. Uh, but for me, it was more wanting the desire to have a greater emphasis on the sacraments and the uh, historical liturgy. Um, and so that was a real push uh, for me to to move towards uh, Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, where there was the, uh, the, uh, the, the sacrament of the altar, a real uh, high emphasis of uh, our baptisms, um, and to uh, also rest in that liturgy, uh, the historical liturgy that is much bigger than than Matt Richard is, something that I can be lost or placed within and to be uh, uh, grafted in that liturgy and so that I'm a part of something bigger than myself. And for our, our listeners who maybe are um, non-Lutheran, th- when we talk about the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, we, we can talk about um, conservative or confessional Lutheranism in America, and, and conservative oftentimes isn't the best word, although uh, plenty of... Uh, Confessional Lutherans can sure spout off uh, about conserv- uh, conservative politics, <clears throat> but uh, confessional Lutheranism meaning having a very high view of um, our Lutheran confessions, which are contained in a, a book called the Book of Concord, um, a very high view of the scriptures, things of this nature. And so a lot of our listeners coming from the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod uh, are going to be familiar with the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, and, and those two church bodies actually were in fellowship for quite a long time in what was called the Synodical Conference. So if we're talking along with the um, Evangelical Lutheran Synod, just just to along put that with out the there. ELS, Peter's always very sensitive <laughs> to that. Along with the Evangelical Lutheran Synod and what the Slovak Synod, am I not mistaken? I think it's right, yeah. And so there's going to be a lot. Who that cares we about would, them, Wade? Yeah, there's going to be a lot <laughs> we would share in common. And, and outside of the the church bodies that the Wisconsin Synod is in, uh, altar and pulpit fellowship with Missouri is going to be extremely close um, on a lot of issues with with the wells. And so these things will apply both ways. Um, you mentioned the the Lutheran Brethren. And I know there's many strains of pietism that made their way to America, especially oftentimes attached to a certain uh, ethnic origin. Um, is was was this uh, predominantly German in origin, and it's just a focus on um, many of the you know the inward turn that that you you mentioned, Spainer and, and Arndt and others might come to mind, uh, or was this something that was uh, you know more Scandinavian and ethnic, or it just uh, a conglomeration maybe. You know, I, I know at its roots, uh, Scandinavian background, uh, very Scandinavian, and uh, boy, back back in that election controversy of the uh, early 1900s, uh, with the whole uh, controversy with that, lines were drawn, and that's really when the the uh, denomination Lutheran Brethren started. Uh, but he, here's the challenge, though. I mean. Um, when you look at churches that tend to have more of an autonomous governance, where each church kind of governs itself, um, you would say, I guess you could say that uh, the flavor, the ethos, the the makeup of the church can can vary from church to church. And so I guess what I grew up with was in a church that had, I, I think, a sprinkling of pietism, also had the uh, revivalistic type atmosphere. Billy Graham was a part of 
you know, we watched Billy Graham all the time and it was revival and altar calls, which comes from the guy named Charles Finney, right? And so there's altar calls and uh, uh, decision and this would be cards. to come up to your to come up to the right. altar to show you're making a decision for Christ. Right, right to right to make a decision for Christ. So the, there there were elements of baptism and communion uh, with my upbringing, but more so what the emphasis was was the revivalism, the altar calls. Um, don't smoke, drink, or chew, nor date girls that do. That was very popular, <laughs> and so. Uh, that kind of aspect. So it was really a, a high, high focus on on uh, your, 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 your piety. But here's the thing, and you mentioned this earlier, there's a difference between pietism and piety. Uh, piety is good, but when you put your hope and trust and uh, you hinge yourself on your piety um, as a basis of your worth and your identity, then you have actually uh, made your bed with, with your own doings, rather than resting with Christ and what he has done for you. And so it was more of a focus of Christ in me versus Christ for me. Yeah, and, um, um, So that's really upbringing. Yeah, man, that, I just wanted to, I mean, just kind of jumping the gun a little bit here, but you're... Is this about potatoes again, Peter? <laughs> a, yeah, Red River Valley potatoes. Yeah, no, um, your book, I mean, you, a lot of the um, characters deal with exactly that issue, right? Um, that idea of piety becoming, um, which is a good thing, becoming their God for them or their hope and their salvation or, you know, um, so just that connection, I just thought that's, I mean, you, you touch on that a lot in your book and, and really kind of drive it home. And I think that'll bring us a little bit to kind of the genesis of the book that will be helpful. I, I would just note, you know, for our, our, our listeners in the Wisconsin Synod, some may or may not be familiar, you know, the extent to which in our own history we were influenced by pietism. And, and Dr. Brown would be one um, when we have him on hopefully here soon. Uh, we're planning on a, an episode. Uh, you know, you mentioned some of the issues don't drink, smoke, or chew, or date a girl who, who does. Um, and... Uh, but, you know, in our own synod, the issue of playing cards or dancing as a uh, vertical expression of a horizontal desire, or should we buy insurance and things of this nature. Yep, Matt. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, it, I was always told that it's not dancing unless you move your feet. So if you don't move your feet, you're okay. <laughs> <laughs> that, that seems worse to me, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, you know, this is something that, that did influence uh, the Wisconsin Synod and its origins, too. And so I think there's a lot that might resonate, especially with people who remember talking to their grandparents or great-grandparents about some of the things that had changed over time, even the issues of can a high school have a school dance and, and things of this nature. Um, and the, the high school uh, Mike and my daughters attend recently did, and both our daughters went. And so hopefully they have not lost their eternal security. I would have voted no dance, but nobody asked me. No that's because you're a father, right? That's, be that's because I'm a father, not a pietist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the... Uh, um, but maybe how how did this background then, uh, as Peter was getting at, because he's more responsible than me in keeping us on track, uh, how how does this background that you're talking about there play into this book coming about? Well, yeah, um, it's a very good question. I, I know through the uh, past and my upbringing and also within uh, 10 years of the Lutheran Brethren, uh, Lutheran Brethren, one of the things that I, I really admire about the Lutheran Brethren is a real focus of evangelism. Uh, there's some 14 to 1,500 churches in Africa that they've planted, and only 100 in the United States. So I, I really commend that church for the evangelism zeal. And as a result of that, um, many times um, I would be doing evangelism to people and oftentimes maybe not for the right reason, but to fulfill my own piety or fulfill a checklist that I actually evangelize rather than doing it as a gift to, to share. But as a result of that, I, I encountered many, many people um, for, through the last, boy, 10, 15 years in encountering in conversations, actually quite deep uh, spiritual conversations. And what I came to realize um, as the genesis of this book kind of developed was uh, when we say Christ, right, when we say Jesus, um, 
we, we can't assume that we're all talking about the same Jesus. Um, and pulling from all my conversations for the last 15, 20 years um, of, of being in the church, serving in the church, serving as a youth director, pastor, and so forth, uh, I came to realize that when you say Jesus, you can't assume that everyone is meaning this, the Jesus of the Bible. So that's really where we had to start. When we say Jesus, who do we mean? Who do we say that he is? And uh, we have to define that, and as we learn and find out in the book that not everybody sees the Christ of the Bible. As far as that goes, then, maybe we can just briefly um, give an overview uh, of, of the book. Um, there, there's several uh, false Christs that you present there, and one of the things that's so interesting about them is that it's not as if all of uh, Christianity is overthrown in these false Christs, but rather... Uh, it, they are nuanced or they are twisted in a way to lose the main purpose of what Christ came came to be. Um, but we have, uh, for instance, the mascot, the option among many, good teacher, therapist, giver of bling. I like that one. Uh, <clears throat> the national patriot, the social justice warrior, the moral example, the new Moses, the mystical friend, the feminized, and the, the teddy bear. And I guess one of my thoughts before we delve into maybe which one stood out to Peter and Mike and I would be what's been the reaction you've had to the book so far? Anybody, anybody very upset with you for going after their Jesus? Oh, uh, good question. You know, I, I have to admit that I've gone onto Amazon and Goodreads to watch the reviews and, and I think the reviews have been really, really positive. Um, but I did find a couple of reviews on Goodreads where the guy gave a couple of people gave me like a one star rating. And I went and I looked to see what kind of books that they were reading themselves. I'm like, oh, well, that makes sense. You know, when they're reading Joyce, Joyce Meyer or Joel Osteen, uh, they, they probably should be offended <laughs> because they're like, wait a second, right. the giver of bling. I don't understand <laughs> yeah, what's uh, wrong here. <laughs> I don't understand why they're upset or they don't like the book. Um, but, you know, I, the, 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 the key in writing the book, one of the things I discussed with the editors was to make sure to write it with a compassionate tone because ultimately when we subscribe to a false Christ we are in bondage we're, we're in slavery to to a myth we're in slavery to a lie and we're worshiping a false Christ and we may and most of the time people don't even realize it so there had to be a real compassionate tone it'd be really easy to take these 12 false Christs and meet the individuals who subscribe to them. Um, I should also note that in the book with each of the false Christs, we meet uh, actual uh, people who are based upon real life events and situations and circumstances. Um, and so it'd be really easy to attack the people that subscribe to the false Christ and then to just hammer them. But really, that's not the goal of the book. The goal is to help the reader understand the false Christ and how they come about to create the false Christ in their mind. And then there's, at the very end, we added, um, the editors really pushed me to add this section of of responding with uh, apologetics, compassion, and also a little bit of evangelism, a confession of who the real Jesus is. So hopefully the tone comes away as very um, sincere and compassionate. That was kind of the goal. So with that in mind, I, I think people, for the most part, whether they agree with it or not, they can say, hey, you know, Pastor Richard's not trying to gun down, you know, a bunch of false Christs and individuals and, and, and to press them in the mud and, and to belittle them. Rather, it's more of a rescue mission. Yeah, and I am, that's the book I'm planning to write. Um, the opposite. will be the one that would do what you're talking about. But uh, Peter no, has a the question, sequel, I The sequel, right? Yeah. <laughs> the, the, uh, the, the one from the uh, from Why the are you such an idiot? <laughs> that might be a good title. If uh, if Matt's book is from the perspective of uh, of uh, Luke Skywalker, yours is from Darth Vader's perspective, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, No, Matt, I was going to say, I think that as I've read through it, I think that you, you accomplished that very well. And as I'm reading 
I could I could tell there's very 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 good a very clear pastoral care taken and um, as you're instructing the the reader um, you go through and so you, as you said you have um, for each of the twelve false Christs you have a description or a, an account a, a narrative account um, with a, with a new character and then that character you know kind of makes makes the argument with you and then you kind of talk about it with the character, but then you go on and tell the reader and you say, so like in the first one, it's responding to Jillian. Um, and you, and you talk about how, you know, how you would respond to someone like this with this concern. And, you know, in the very first one with Jillian, you said, so when, when we respond to Jillian or others like her, it is of utmost importance that we pray that the Lord would give us great compassion and gentleness. And I felt like that really governed the, the whole spirit of your book. You said, let's, you know, let's actually go through this and, and, and deal with them where they're at and not, uh, and not come in with, uh, you know, with, with Wade's sledgehammer and, and try, to, try to knock them off their stool, but rather help them to understand and, you know, um, give, the, uh, you know give the opportunity for the, for the word to do its work, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if you think about uh, Spider-Man, Peter Parker, right? Uh, his uncle, he says to him, I, I love this line, you know, he says, uh, Peter, you know, with great power becomes great responsibility. I mean, that's just a classic line, right? And uh, so really with this book, you, you're, you're gleaning a lot of power in understanding how people think and how they work and the presuppositions that they bring to the table. And with that becomes a great responsibility in responding. And so it's too easy to grab these, uh, what, what you can learn from this book and just use it as a sledgehammer. Um, but really, that doesn't accomplish anything. It's rather, again, like you said, letting the Word do the work to convict of sin, and then also letting the Gospel then be pronounced uh, to grant faith and to create faith in the individual. One of the, uh, one of the things I, I wondered as I read it is, did you change these people's names? Yeah, <laughs> that's the thing is is what I when I when I set out to do this, you know, I had the the false Christ. I should back up here. This actually came from a lecture that I did with uh, Chris Rosebro and uh, Jonathan Fisk and I. We we did a lectureship. We did a conference together, the three of us. And so I wrote a paper on this, and this is kind of where it came from. So I had six to eight false Christs already, and I developed all twelve. And then the idea came to introduce characters. So I, I made a list of the false Christ, and I made a list of all the characters and situations where I had met these false Christs in my own life, and then I mixed them all up. You know, So the first chapter, it's not Jillian, it's not even her name. Uh, it's actually a guy, and I didn't meet him and on what an was, airplane. what was his name? Yeah. <laughs> and so, what, was it so Mike if, Berg? <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if you read the introduction, you'll realize that Wade's, uh, Wade's needling here because... Uh, um, Pastor Richard is uh, is very careful to say that he's changed all of this, and he's been, been, been very careful to change even the circumstances surrounding it, but really trying to get to the point. I do just, I have, a, with these books, I always wonder, and a lot of the, like the history I've done, um, when you're reading like an oral history and they've changed names, whatever, it always is just the back of my mind, like, just want, not even that I would know the person if I knew, but I'm like... I just wish I knew who this was, you know. So I'll stop with that. I don't know. I Wait, we had, we had a we had a pastor on, on a, as a guest once, and he had to leave uh, to go hear confession. And, and Wade was asking him if he could uh, if he could text us with anything juicy that came through. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's the thing is when I wrote in the very uh, preface of the book or the very opening introduction, I made sure to 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 note two things: one, the situation, the circumstances, the names have all been changed, uh, so they're based upon real life events 
and at the same time, too, no uh, confessional seal was violated with any of these. And so, again, they're definitely fictitious people with fictitious uh, circumstances, but again, uh, based upon real-life events. In fact, you know, I, I've told people this, that with some of the chapters, uh, especially like the Social Justice Warrior chapter, I went online to Social Justice Warrior pages, and I, I, I confess this, I trolled. I, I, poked, I poked them, and I poked them, and I kind of harassed a little bit gently, and then they got all fired up, and I said, well, hey, you know, you said this. Can I use this? I'm working on a book. Can I can I copy and paste this? And by that time, they didn't really care. So <laughs> copying and pasting, and so the language was also very important for me to have realistic language uh, from people subscribing to these false Christs. And so a lot of language is from Facebook that I've gotten from individuals, um, as well as my own experiences. Mike just raised his hand, which is unnecessary in a podcast, but go ahead, Mike. <laughs> That's the only way to uh, get Wade's attention. Anyway, um, I'd like to, to get Wade to stop talking. Yeah, stop talking. I'd like to ask you a couple questions about the uh, specific false Christ. Um, I was a pastor in uh, southwest Minnesota, so we probably have a very um, similar experience. And uh, I met all of these 12, of course, and probably the National Patriot was the most prominent uh, the mystical friend, which would be kind of the, the mystic pietist, was, was a big one, too. But I wanted you to talk a little bit more about the therapist, Wendy, the life coach. Um, I get a lot of, not necessarily from parishioners, but uh, let's just say church workers kind of people who are in the work of the church. Um, I hear this a lot. Yeah, yeah, we've heard about Jesus and the gospel, but let's move beyond that. And let's go to the next thing and it's very success oriented and program oriented and i'm wondering if you could comment on uh the false christ that you labeled the therapist and matt before you do that let me just tell the listeners if you're if you don't have the book in your hands yet um which if you don't I mean, i'm wondering why you don't but um you can go to uh matt has a great chart that he um kind of a little cheat sheet chart that goes through the the 12 uh false Christ. And um, I'll link it on the show notes page. So go there and just download that PDF because it'll help um, as we go through some of these for you to just kind of keep keep track of what we're talking about, if that's fair, Matt. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that chart that chart really, really helps in, in distinguishing all these false Christ. So yeah, you mentioned uh, Wendy. Yeah, we meet Wendy and she's at this, uh, uh, this group with all these individual uh, in, women with her and she's a life coach, a certified life coach. And, and I find myself with another, another guy, another husband being drug along and, and we find ourselves in the midst of this uh, context where she's promoting uh, a false Christ. And, and, and here's what we learn when we hear about this false Christ. And I'll just kind of give a, a big synopsis on this. Oftentimes we hear that, you know, you need Jesus so that you can have hope. Uh, you need Jesus so that you can have uh, fill in the blank, whatever you want uh, to have. So Jesus then becomes very, 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 you know, succinctly, he becomes a means to another end. In other words, Jesus then is is a base that we need to, you know, round in order to get to the home plate. And the home plate isn't Jesus, it's something else at a second tier that's higher. And you hear this many times in American evangelical uh praise and worship uh, music. It's always about going deeper, right? So you're going deeper, going further. It's it's moving us to some other level that's usually uh, greater and better. But so here's the problem. Uh, when it comes down to using Jesus as, as, as a means to another end, that Jesus is a means to get hope, 
we fail to realize that Jesus is our hope. Jesus is the end. Uh, Jesus is not just a base that we round. Jesus is the home plate that we come back to. We're, we're, we're prone to wander. We're prone to leave the God that we love, you know, from that hymn. And, and so we're always needed to be returned back to Jesus. I mean, we, we hear this in Hebrews, too. The uh, author of Hebrews goes on to say that, that we are to leave the elementary doctrines of Christ. And so people are like, oh, yeah, you know, we're going to move on to something else. No, what does he do in Hebrews? He goes to the mature doctrines of Christ. And so it's always to Christ, whereas the therapist, uh, Jesus, um, Wendy, especially who's holding on to this therapist, Jesus isn't good enough. Uh, your baptismal identity is not good enough. You have to move to some higher tier, uh, to a higher greatness. And so then you end up dividing people into like normal Christians, you know, or just average Christians, you know, like, like all of us, right? Um, and then you have to move on to some greater uh, level, which is really at the heart of this is something called Keswick theology. Uh, and that Keswick theology is always about that second tier. So when you hear two tiers and you hear Jesus as, as, as a means to get to another tier, um, we're, we're dealing with a false Christ. You know, uh, it's always to Jesus and he's always the end. When I, when I tell my students about uh, uh, sola gratia, grace alone, um, and when we add anything to it, even if it seems insignificant, it's like saying to Jesus at the cross, thanks, buddy, I got it from here. You know, you've done your part. Now um, now I'm ready to go. And I'll always remember you, but, um, you know, you know, I'll, in my memoirs, I'll make sure to, uh, to mention you, but now I'm moving on here. Um, so that one, that one really leapt off the page for me. I, I think one of the things that strikes me with that, too, is um, I think Mike and I maybe mentioned in a, previous episode or winging it you know that when we when we turn to, to Jesus as therapy sometimes we almost undermine the value of real therapy or people who are trained to help with some of the things that someone might be wrestling with you know if I uh, if I need to lose weight hypothetically uh, <laughs> I don't know why take, I could take something that's more realistic yeah Wade. but uh you know I could either turn to Jesus for that or I could say uh hey um you know, Jesus has also, uh, you know, given me a, a gym I can go to or, uh, well, I'd say willpower, but clearly that's not how I'm in this situation. But there's 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 means that I can I can go to to work towards that that don't have to be Jesus-y. And the same, the same may be true um, with other areas as well. So we're not only uh, presenting a false Christ, but we're sometimes keeping someone from what actually could be a much more helpful way um, even with with things as time management or organizing your life, you know, there's there's better ways to maybe find that um, than uh, than turning Christ into, you know, a, a glorified uh, assistant. Yeah, absolutely. And, and here's the thing is you usually hear this in testimonies with individuals simply saying, you know, uh, you know, I was at one point in time, I was a drug addict and, you know, I. I was in debt, and, you know, they list off all these horrific things that are terrible, which oftentimes is true, right? And then all of a sudden they become a Christian, and then everything is better, and they communicate that there's some second tier. And I, and when I hear these stories, I'm like, okay, we can praise God that, that there's been a change, right? But uh, I've learned through my parishioners here at the church that the Christian life is up and down and left and right, um, that the evil one never stops. He's always flinging darts at us. Our sinful nature till the day that we die is, is, is just, it's just ruthless, and the world itself attacks. And so uh, it's not moving to the second tier, but it's, you know, I think the older that we get, the more we realize just how 
insignificant and weak that we are. And the older that we get, we don't become more independent. We become more dependent uh, needing Jesus. Whereas this kind of uh, false Christ uh, basically says, you got Jesus, now that's good, and you got to move on now as an autonomous individual who has it all together to your second tier, and then you display your greatness. And, and that may sound harsh, but that's definitely true. We, we hear that in testimonies, and we hear that with uh, people who have bought into this false Christ. Yeah, and I think the, the pastoral heart of all of us wants to say, uh, boy, I know what's coming down the road for you. Um, it may be under deathbed, but probably before that. And I always like to say that hang your baptismal certificate on your bedroom um, uh, wall and know that you can walk outside of your uh, your bedroom into the world and say, I don't know what you got for me, world, but you can't undo my baptism. That's an historical event. And you could say the same thing about the cross of Christ. It's an historical event. It cannot be undone. Whether I have a good religious day-to-day or not, whether I go to that second tier or not, or totally fail, um, my hope rests in not my faith itself or my success, but in an historical thing that's outside of me. And you can't take away that from me. And, and you end up having a better kind of attitude about, about life in general and uh, able to take uh, successes with humility and also uh, the failures with a little bit of hope. Yeah, I can't say it better. That's amen, 100% amen. That's awesome. Now, now Mike's going to get a big head here. I'm out. I'm leaving. We'll see you. I'm done. <laughs> no, I, I, I agree 150%. You, 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 I can't say it better. Well, the, Matt, um, I just, Oh, you're going to go with your Jesus now? Is or that am okay? I going to go with mine? You go, Peter, right. Peter would like to go with his favorite false Christ. And let now. me just say one more thing about the book is, uh, you know, as we kind of go through it, just so our readers have a good sense of it. This is a, this is, I'm, not, I'm assuming that this was designed for, for group study. I mean, like that was part of your intention. Is that correct? Yeah, when we started off on it, uh, started writing, uh, they, they wanted me to have a couple, my, when I say they, my editors had two phenomenal editors, and uh, they said, you know, we should we should have a couple questions. Well, that developed into six to seven questions, <laughs> and then they said, well, why don't you write a leader's guide, and I wrote a leader's guide, and so the very back portion of it, there's a huge section of leader's guide giving uh, answers. So this is a book where you can read uh, for the narrative quality, the stories, but you also can read it also to understand what's going on behind the scenes with these individuals you meet. And then you can read it for study purposes, personal or group. And Concordia Publishing House just released, um, uh, and I think I sent you the link for that. You can maybe post it uh, below uh, when you post this podcast. But it has a uh, online version where you can study this book through an online course uh, where there's uh, uh, extra videos and and uh, questions and so forth, uh, it's led through a uh, online course, which is pretty pretty cool to see. So yeah, yeah, they CPH has done a great job. Yeah, and I'll, I'll definitely put that in the show notes. So um, again, the the show is gonna, this is will be episode twenty eight. So you can go to you can find the show notes if you're just listening on your podcatcher on on your i um, on your iPhone. Um, you can find it at letthebirdfly.com slash twenty eight, and the show notes will be there. Um, but I'll put that. Um, that uh, online course on there as well. It's uh, I actually haven't looked at that yet because I just got it from you. I just asked you for it yesterday, and so I haven't looked at it yet. But that sounds great, and it made sense though. Um, as I went through this, it was it was just it was fun to read, and I could just read it without having you know being led through it with a in a group discussion. But it just lends itself to it, and then of course, like you said, you add the you know six, seven, eight questions uh, at the end of each. Uh, each section. So um, just an encouragement. Um, as I was reading it, I thought of some some pastors that I've had in the past that this would just be, I mean, right in their wheelhouse. They could they could lead a, a discussion through this, and it really gives you a lot of meat to chew on, but it's so it's terribly accessible. And, so, and well, we know a bunch of lazy pastors who don't want to write a Bible class, so there you go, <laughs> fellas. <laughs> well, and I think, too, to jump in, I, uh, 
you know, Peter mentions that. I think this is one of those books that can be helpful for lay people and pastors together because I think for pastors it does two things. It, A, reminds them of some of what they're encountering. Uh, it gives them a way to label it or to, to kind of process it. You know, they're, they're picking up on parts of these things, and I think it can be helpful then for pastors in dealing with the people they encounter uh, inside and outside of the church. But I think, secondly, it's helpful for pastors because it does, um, at the same time, uh, provide a resource that they can use in the parish, whether it is in group study or it's something that they point members to um, that, that individual members might enjoy reading. But it's definitely written in an accessible way that it's not going to lose um, lay people uh, who maybe, if, if you're a lay person who wants to, to grow in your faith or understand the faith better, and you haven't you know necessarily read the Book of Concord once, twice, three times, or um, you're still not quite sure exactly what Revelation is trying to say, you can get through this book and you're not going to be lost. Uh, it can be very helpful, I think, both for for increasing the understanding of some, but also for helping others who, who maybe have a feel for this be able to summarize it and process it well and address it in the parish. So. Yeah, yeah, and it's 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 well written and very accessible, but at the same time very meaty. And I just thought, wow, if, you know, I mean, like I just thought as you as I went through the sections. Pastors could just have a field day with this. I mean, you get to you get to really kind of pull people into these great kind of central discussions of the the character of Christ and you know and dealing with him in these ways and how he kind of gets you know twisted and turned very subtly and oftentimes ways that you're kind of sympathetic to. Hey, I, I kind of like that. And so, just I mean, I, again, an encouragement to you know pastors out there to lay people. You can get this and read it on your own. You can get it and you know have a Bible study. You can get it and have a small group study or whatever we do. I don't know. So that kind of thing. But I just wanted to put that out there so that everyone kind of had a had a good feel of how the how the book's laid out. So, so Peter, do you want to go next with your your favorite false Christ? Yeah, actually, I changed it from what I told you before, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go with a different one. <laughs> um, the one I wanted to talk about was the the new Moses, and I thought this because growing up, this was actually you know something that I was very familiar with, you know, um, personally, and uh, and also with those around me, um, as is often the case. Those around you influence you; you kind of mimic them. But so, yeah, um, Matt, would you mind talking about the uh, the new Moses? Yeah, absolutely. You know, with with all of these false Christs, um, you know, we should preface this by saying that they all contain elements of the real Jesus. But then what they do is they strip away certain um, attributes and different aspects, and then they add things onto it. And so with the new Moses false Christ, we meet a guy named Walter. And what Walter has done is he's actually subtracted and reduced, get this, God's law and God's gospel. So he's really diminished the law of the Bible and diminished the gospel. So he's kind of stripped that away from Jesus. And then what he does with Jesus is that he takes his own man-made traditions and he, and, he, and he puts these own traditions that he has and he puts them on Jesus and he equates them to Scripture. So he creates um, laws that he believes are in the Bible, but they're more so laws that are, uh, how would we say this, uh, cultural um, cultural uh, ways of thinking, cultural ways of how he was brought up. And, and he's equated that to the actual scripture. And so then what he ends up doing is that uh, by fulfilling these man-made laws that he believes come from that he believes uh, come from Jesus, which it's really not Jesus, it's the new Moses false Christ, then he takes these laws, these man-made laws that he has created, and then he fulfills them, and then he pats himself on the back. And so then anybody that doesn't fulfill these laws, um, he attacks them, and then so he condemns them. And uh, then, but the problem here is he's condemning them not on the basis of God's law, but on the basis of a uh, man-made law, a false law, 
and he doesn't give them the gospel. So he, 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 he's condemning them to get them to get in line, to follow his way of viewing, uh, his view of Christianity. And so there's no gospel. So uh, it's just treacherous. And so we meet Walter, and he's, he's, he's all up in arms because he, he, he's come, going to a, a park, uh, to a church park, a church picnic, and he goes by in the alley, and he sees one of the, the uh, leaders of the church, an elder, having a beer in his backyard. And so he he absolutely flips out and accuses him of drinking a beer. But uh, we got to admit that, you know, okay, drunkenness is clearly defined as a sin in the Bibles, but this 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 leader in the church was not that way? drunk. <laughs> um, I, I just heard a pastor say it. Never mind. Go ahead. <laughs> and so... So, so we, 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 we uh, have this guy who is not drunk, he's just, just drinking a cold one after mowing the lawn, and he's condemning them. He wants him kicked out of leadership, and he's imposing all this. And then when, when I actually confront Walter, I say, well, did he sin? Well, he's not willing to say that he sinned. You know, he's not willing to go that far. But he is certainly willing to condemn him on the basis of Jesus, even though Jesus did not condemn uh, just drinking uh, you know, responsibly in moderation, an alcoholic beverage. I mean, you know, he tra- he changed water into the wine. I mean, Jesus uh, and the disciples, they had wine at the Passover and so forth. Uh, but so what he ends up doing, Walter condemns all these people around him for not fulfilling a cultural law that he has imposed on top of Jesus. And in so doing, uh, he is going to keep that condemnation until everyone uh, gets in line and everyone files uh, right behind his own demands and if you don't, uh, there's not going to be any let up, and so there's really no gospel and no law. It's just his own man-made rules that he imposes on everybody else um, with the basis of authority from a false Christ. Hopefully what, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah thank you. And, and what really struck me about that and just kind of struck home, um, I remember when I when I kind of started realizing that I— I, I was completely misunderstanding this from my uh, my Christian day school education and and upbringing, and uh, that I had I kind of done the same thing as as Walter here, and that is removed the gospel, and that was the heart of it. You know, you say the new Moses, we think well all these new laws, we think Pharisees, but at the heart of it, it's removing the gospel, right? And that was I just thought, yeah, that was that was that was me. I mean, some certainly sometimes still is me, but that's uh, that that's that was me, and I had a kind of a moment of uh, of realization that uh hey if i if i'm going to go down this road i'm in big trouble because i can't i can't live up to this uh this new law that uh, that i'm creating and um i've completely removed my uh my uh my safety net in the gospel and it doesn't have to be kind of like conservative like here's your uh your moral drinking card playing and stuff like that it can be the opposite too you can have a very more liberal-minded Christian pointing out this is how a Christian should act out in the world. This is how a Christian should vote and stuff like that. It can be, it's it's uh, cross-political, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And and the key is 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 somebody following the new Moses, false Christ, is not going to label something clearly as sin. Because uh, here's the thing: is if we don't label something as sin, uh, then we still have that control, right? So Walter won't label a sin, so that he can still influence control. Because as soon as he admits that it's sin, uh, then he allows for repentance and forgiveness. And uh, he doesn't want freedom, you know, freedom from from his his condemning power. Uh, he wants to use the no, new Moses to impose his cultural beliefs, his own man-made traditions upon everyone else so that they will act the same way that he does. And really, that's for his own self-justification so that he can feel good about himself, that he is upholding uh, this law for himself. It's actually just quite 
just wretched. It's terrible. It's a terrible place to be. And pastorally, I would imagine how you deal with somebody like that is is get to the point where, um, you know, you're trying to justify yourself here, Walter, and you don't have to. You don't have to, and you can't. And and just to have that pastoral heart to look at somebody like Walter and go, he's probably suffering inside. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's easy to hate that guy, but he's probably suffering inside, and uh, he's put himself under these laws too, and, and free him from that law first, and, and then he'll probably uh, be more of a, a preacher of the gospel than, uh, than even the pastor sometimes. Well, and that's the hope. I mean, and I hit this in the book, how do you respond to uh, Walters? And, and, and Luther's very clear about this, too, when he writes on this, and we see this also in Acts and Galatians. Uh, then when it comes to somebody who's weak in faith, my goodness, we bend over backwards. We, we, we do everything possible to love our brother who is weak in faith. But when a person doesn't have faith, uh, when they're acting without faith, uh, then they need to be opposed, um, and Luther says, in, in blatant terms. And so someone like Walter, um, I would actually argue that, uh, as I present him in this chapter, he's not operating from faith. He's operating from unbelief. He's operating from his own legalistic tendencies, his own self-justification. And so we really need to, as graciously, graciously as we can, we need to offend him. Uh, and that seems really hard to do, but we really need to offend him. We need to, we need to jar him. We need to, to uh, uh, shake him up. Um, on that, because he's really uh, subscribed to to a wretched theology. There's no faith. So we, we, we're careful not to wound those who have faith, but when somebody doesn't have faith, there's nothing to wound. In fact, we need to rattle their cage so that they might be brought to repentance themselves. This brings to mind, when I was in, in high school, Matt, I was raised uh, Roman Catholic, and so I wasn't yet, yet Lutheran, but I remember working at Burger King in Lent, and uh, so obviously I, I wouldn't eat meat because, uh, you know, I was a, a good Roman Catholic. But I remember giving a hard time to my Protestant friends who were eating meat while I would have, uh, you know, four or five fish sandwiches and maybe have tartar sauce running down my fat face, um, you know, as a, a heavier high school kid. That was all right, right? Well, <laughs> if you had the new <laughs> Moses, right? <laughs> you know, but yeah, that's the thing. I mean, when, when you go this route of the new Moses, you pick and choose. And, and, and we hit this with Walter. I hit this with Walt, Walter, too, that when we go the way of the new Moses, we typically choose the man-made laws that we're best at fulfilling ourselves. Like eating fish sandwiches. Uh, <laughs> like eating fish sandwiches. <laughs> but we always do that. I mean, when we go the way of the new Moses, we pick man-made laws um, that we can fulfill, things that we can actually accomplish. And then we pat ourselves on the back. And we give a high five to the new Moses, and we condemn everyone around us. My uh, my favorite, and I don't want to keep you too late tonight, Pastor Richard, but my uh, my favorite was the the National Patriot, uh, Jack the Theocratic American, and this one um, I'll let you give background on, but it's fascinating on me too because I think, or fascinating for me too because I think we can see it. Uh, not just among laity, but just in Lutheranism in general, especially in, as we live in a so, somewhat uh, panicked age about uh, America and how Christian is it and, and, and um, what is the role of the church, things of this nature. But maybe if you could just give a little bit on the background of Jack the Theocratic American and the National Patriot. 
Yeah, when we when we meet, I picture Jack, this oh, Jesus with sparklers, by the way, in each hand, <laughs> and the constantly well, waving American flag, right? And an eagle on. <laughs> yeah, sorry, go ahead, Pastor. <laughs> no, it's fine. You know, when this story actually starts, I I come into a church and uh, I I come into the sanctuary and there's a, a couple of ladies and they're kneeling down by the altar and I get a little nervous. I'm like, what's going on? And I come up to find out that they're moving the American flag and there's a Christian flag. They're moving it away from the altar. And I said, what on earth is going on? They said, well, uh, a couple weeks ago, actually a couple months ago, uh, the senior pastor moved the flag, the American flag, and Jack uh, saw the flags moved away from the altar to the corners of the church, and he flipped out, and he yelled, and he went to his car, and he refused to come back into the church until the flag was put right back to that altar where it belonged. And so I said, well, what are you doing? And the, the uh, lady said, well, look, uh, the senior pastor asked us to move the flag two inches every week. And you look down the carpet, you see all these rings and these circles and have been moved like, you know, 13 inches over the last, I don't know how long it was or how many feet it was. So it was being moved slowly. And so the point is, is when we think of the altar and we think of the flag, uh, the tendency with someone like Jack is that you take the altar and the flag and you blend them together. And essentially what we're doing with, with this false Christ is we're taking the, what we call the left and the right-hand kingdom, the kingdom of the state, right, which is the left-hand kingdom, and the kingdom of the church, which is the right, and we blend them into one and the same. And so we create essentially a theocracy. We, we make Christianity, we make Jesus, um, you know, we blend him to uh, into the one. So he's not only for forgiveness, life, and salvation, but he's also for um, the American dream, uh, the pursuit of happiness, and, and oh boy, I'm trying to think off the top of my head the slogan we have for the American spirit. Um, oh, it'll come to me later. But it's basically taking both the altar and the flag and blending them together. And someone like Jack, he cannot conceive of, of the two kingdoms. He cannot conceive of the state and the church um, in separate realms, uh, both governed by the Lord God Almighty, uh, both established by him, um, but he sees them combined in, the, in one and the same. There's a, a real danger here. I have a friend who actually has a, a daughter that, um, when she was younger, uh, said, to, said to him, Dad, why, why do we pray to the flag um, when saying the pledge, right? And there's a danger here because we do, um, you know, as Americans, oftentimes, you know, kind of give, give reverence to the flag, but, but even if we don't intend it, it can be, you know, it can be a confusing message because of how that's, how that's handled. I had a story that's similar to uh, to what you just said. I we redid the floors in my church, and I took the opportunity to take the American flag and put it out into the narthex. And uh, about uh, a year and a half later, I had somebody come in pretty irate that I had moved the flag last Sunday. <laughs> I said, "Well, it was about a year and a half ago. I moved the flag back because it wor- wasn't worth the fight." But you know, uh, kind of pointed out that. Uh, well, we tend to be American first and Lutheran second, and I always found that very un-American. <laughs> well, and, that, and that's the thing. It's, it's not that you, you can't be, you know, an American patriot, but, uh, but if, when the things start getting confused, um, as, uh, as Pastor Richard said, it's, you know, you start getting into this theocratic realm, which I'm under, if I understand you correctly, that's bad, correct, Pastor Richard? Right, right. Okay. Well, and, <laughs> and, and, here, and here's the thing, though. I mean, it, we, we, we want to think of it this way. Um, I, I tell people many times, we don't need more Christian politicians and more Christian lawyers uh, and more Christian uh, mayors or Christian governors. We need more governors who are Christians, more mayors who are Christians, more politicians and lawyers who are Christian. In other words, we distinguish both 
kingdoms uh, and we understand them in their proper realms, uh, that the kingdom of the left operates by the rule of law, whereas the kingdom on the right operates by word and sacrament, and neither blending them um, nor uh, confusing them. Uh, we want to distinguish between both of them, because ultimately when we blend them, uh, what ends up happening is when we blend the two, it, typically history has shown us here, maybe with the exception of uh, you know the, the 1500s, uh, typically speaking, what happens is that the uh, church loses out. Uh, the church usually gets gobbled up by the state. The word and sacrament gets lost. And so it's it's not that we're against the state. It's that we distinguish the two. And that's that's what my whole point of this book is, that Jack is failing to distinguish the two, and he wants to um, muddy the water by blending them together. And when you blend those together, you end up having a national patriot false Christ. But when you distinguish the two, you have the real Jesus. So does this mean Mike should get rid of his American flag stoles? <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, I, I think that gives a sense. I don't want to run through too many of them and give away the book because I think it's very much worth reading. Um, but maybe unless the uh, Mike and Peter have, have more thoughts, one of the things I'd be curious to get is if, if someone were to ask you, um, what do you hope... Uh, Let's say uh, the average layman. What do you hope the average layperson gets out of reading this book? Yeah, good question. Um, I th I think you know several things. One is understanding uh, how we go the way of uh, presuppositions, and in other words, um, our assumptions, what we we bring to the table, what we assume about. Uh, Christianity assume about Jesus many times influences the way that we see Christ. And so to be aware of of our own assumptions that we bring to the table and assumptions from other people. And, and really that leads to us understanding how we can go the way of idolatry. I mean, this whole book is really, uh, could be labeled 12 false, um, or 12 idols, right? Instead of 12 false Christ, it could be 12 idols. Uh, there are ways that we create in our imagination, in our mind, how we we re, re, reshape and craft Jesus into our own image. And so to be aware of how we do that as a culture and how we do that as individuals, um, that would be the one thing I'd hope people learn. And then the second would be um, learning to uh, you know, confess Christ for who he is, uh, which is really the last chapter. And, and knowing that um, every single time that we stand up in church on Sunday and confess the Apostles' Creed of the Nicene Creed, or when we study Luther's small catechism, um, and that second article of the Apostles' Creed, we're confessing Christ. Um, and that's the reason why we do that on Sundays, is, is that bold confession together with our chins up, uh, with our mouths open, boldly confessing who Jesus is for our neighbor, for the world, and for ourselves. So it really is, is an apologetic book, which means a defense of the Christian faith, um, also understanding um, what's going on in our culture with all the different movements and so forth, and as well as coming back to that solid confession of who Christ is for us. And one of the things that we maybe have, we've been emphasizing the false Christ, but the actual title is, will the real Jesus please stand up? And as, as you mentioned, uh, Matt, the last, the last section, the last chapter deals with that. So it's not just about, um, you know, the baddies. We also have the goodie in there, right? So, Yeah. Well, you know, and, and somebody defined the book to me in this way, and I thought it was very helpful. They said instead of the book starting off or like a, a theology book, if you were to read a dogmatics book or a theology book by a person, they usually say, you know, Jesus this is who he is, and then they list um, all the reasons or all the evidence behind it of who he is. Somebody said, you know, this book, Pastor Richard, is kind of like you're backing into the garage. And so you start off by talking about who Jesus is not. So chapter one, he's not 
He's not um, uh, the mascot. Uh, he's not the new Moses. He's not the national patriot. So we're, we're, we're tackling all these uh, uh, positions of who he isn't. So by the time we get to the very end of the book, then we can say, well, okay, if he's not all these false Christs, who is he? Well, he's the Christ of the scriptures, the Christ of the creeds, um, the Christ that you hear, Lord willing, in your church. Yeah, it's to use the uh, philosophical jargon, it's very epiphatic in that way in its approach. Yeah, in, I, the other way, inductive, right? It's a very inductive approach uh, to the book uh, is another way it's been defined. Are, are you impressed that Peter knows some, some fancy words? I do that to Bug that, Wade. Actually, it's more that, to Bug Ben. Ben is going to message us after listening to this to, to uh, make fun of Peter for... That's for, that's a $50 word, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think I've actually used it before on the podcast. So. I guess if I were just off the top of my head, based on having read the book now... Um, twice and uh in our discussion i would probably come up with something like this um timely engaging and accessibly written richard helps ground and orient his readers in a climate that treats jesus more as an idea something for us to imagine and shape than a real historical person and the savior this is a worthwhile read for pastors hoping to better teach their flock moral Moral word is is an an extremely extremely helpful helpful book for for lay people who who want to, to wait, you already know you wrote this. Jesus. This is your blurb, yeah, Wade. Would you, would, you, uh, <laughs> would you say that was a good a good review? That was a very good review. Yeah, <laughs> I'm referencing in the in the front of the book. Uh, they were apparently desperate enough for people to uh, give reviews of the book that I have an endorsement there, and I was very uh, thankful that that Pastor Richard and uh, Concordia Publishing House uh, offered me the opportunity to be able to give one. Uh, I, it's just a very worthwhile book. I think it's one that almost anyone can find something to take away from it in. Uh, it kind of ties in with some of the stuff we've been discussing in previ- previous episodes and winging it, whether it's Mike and I the other day talking about not finding God outside of us in word and sacrament and not where he's not promised to be found, or the apologetics episode we recently had too where we talked about the need to sometimes break down someone's misconceptions in order to be able then to, to give them the truth as you do at the end of the book. Matt, uh Mike or Peter, anything else before we maybe uh, uh, say goodbye? No, thank you very much for your work. I uh, The phrase that keeps coming back to me is that Jesus is the ultimate iconoclast, breaking the images we have of him. <laughs> and when he breaks that down, um, the resurrected Jesus uh, tends to appear on the pages of Scripture for us, and we can have a big sigh of relief. Peter, would yeah, you like to throw out any any words that you know? No, I just I want to actually kind of uh, put a couple couple more plugs out there for the um, uh, uh, listeners to go to the to the show notes page again. Letthebirdfly.com slash twenty eight. Um, we're gonna have a book giveaway. We're gonna be giving away. We haven't done this for a while, so we're gonna give away a, a copy of uh, Pastor Richard's book, um, the uh, Will the Real Jesus Please Stand Up: Twelve False Christs. Um, so go there for details. I don't know how long will last, but it'll be on there. It'll be clear. Um, we'll also have links to where if you can... If he wasn't in North Dakota, I would offer to drive it out to get a signed copy to give away, <laughs> but uh, but that sounds the, far away in North Dakota. I'm not sure. Have you As ever you know, been there? <laughs> winter's approaching, so you probably won't make it. So. <laughs> <laughs> You'll get it in spring <laughs> after the thaw. We'll also have links to where you can buy the book, and I would encourage you, even if you're, if you're you know, hoping beyond hope that you are, you're going to be the winner of the free copy, buy it first. And then if you get it, you've got one to give away because this is a great conversation book. You should have someone else read it and then you can talk about it. We'll also link to a, um, uh, a, pay, a site that uh, Pastor Richard has about more information about the book, the free online course that we talked about, the chart that kind of walks you through the comprehensive guide of the, the 12 false Christ. Um, and Pastor Richard, is there anything else we should put on there? You have a personal website or anything that we should uh, link to as well if people want to find out more about you personally 
Yeah, I, I've, I've had a personal website for several years, just kind of a catch-all for everything. Uh, it's www.pastormattrichard.com or www.pastormattrichard.org. Uh, either one will get you right there. Or just Google, you know, Pastor Matt Richard. All right. So get you right there. Well, I think as as I always forget to say, by the way, too, if you've been, enjoyed the podcast, not necessarily you, Pastor Richard, although you're welcome, welcome to do this, but to our listeners, <clears throat> if you've enjoyed the podcast, uh, please do subscribe, rate, review. We've really gained a lot of good momentum lately that we're very excited about, and we're looking forward to keeping up. Uh, but also, please do check out, I'm sure we can have it in the show notes, uh, Pastor Richard, you have a podcast as well. Uh, did we already get the title of that out there? We haven't. Yeah, that... That's actually it's actually linked uh, to my 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 blog. It's basically a collection of all the sermons uh, from from the church, and then any any interviews and stuff like that. I do like for instance, we'll take this one, throw it on there too, to to get it out to the uh, more people to listen as well. So well, Fantastic. excellent. So, so when you go to the website, there. check that out as well. They do have internet in North Dakota, then. Okay, excellent. <laughs> yeah. we're, 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 that's good. It's, it's dial up. It's <laughs> we we barely have it up here in my office half the time, depending on the day. So. We can't really talk, but we do really thank you. Um, those of you who uh, have enjoyed this episode, please do check out the book and more of the resources that uh, Pastor Richard has outlined for us. Matt, we thank you for being on. Maybe we can find a reason to get you to join us again someday. Sorry for the technical difficulties in the in the past, but hopefully you had a little bit of fun with us. Yeah, absolutely. I really appreciate it, guys. It's a real, real honor to be on, on the uh, podcast. And uh, yeah, excited to visit and, and appreciate you plugging the book too as well. Well, we're going to put you on the spot here because, and we forgot to warn you, but we usually try to have <laughs> the guest end it for us. So, in a world full of false Christ uh, and false claims about him, when it comes down to it, to it uh, trusting in the, in the true Jesus, what is it that we can ultimately do, Pastor? Let the bird fly. There we, there go. we go. You got it. Bingo. <laughs> Very good. Thank you. Every evening when the sun goes down, get with my party and I begin to cry. I don't care what the people are thinking. I'm not drunk, I'm just a drink. I say I'm up, another round. I say I'm up, another round. I say I'm up, another round. One more round won't get me down.